be back with you today and to see so many uh, warm and familiar faces. Um, as Kurt has already done, let me add to that and wish a happy Father's Day to all you who are fathers here uh, today. And let me also kind of tail on to what he did earlier in the service and say that, yes, we should give thanks for all of those fathers who have born children into this world. But Paul, at one point when he's writing, uh, writing to Timothy, speaks about him as a true son in the faith. Paul saw Timothy not just as someone that he cared for, not just as someone that he discipled or that he mentored or loved, but really as a child. And what that does is that reminds me and should remind all of us of the many ways that the, the men here in this church and the men that happen to be in God's kingdom can be spiritual fathers to so many people. There are different men who have mentored me and discipled me and brought me up to be more of a, a godly person. And so I am thankful for all such men that have guided and encouraged me. But that also means that all of us, whether or not we have children of our own, can be, in a sense, spiritual fathers. And through our encouragement, our counsel, our prayer, our fellowship, can lead many people to grow up into more maturity into more faithfulness and following after Jesus and looking like him. And that's really what Paul is trying to do in the book of Thessalonians. He sees the Thessalonians as his children. He spoke about them in that, that way of as a father to children in chapter 2. And throughout this book, what he's trying to do is he's laboring them in, in their lives as a good father to bring them up to maturity and what he sees as the glimpse of maturity, faith, hope, and love. And as we've been studying along in this book, we've seen Paul encourage the Thessalonians to have a faith that is built on the foundation of Christ and the gospel. And to live that out, to live out his character in the way that they love each other. And over the last few times that we've gone through this book, we've been seeing the way that Paul is pointing them towards the hope of Christ's return. And the way that those three things, faith, hope, and love, shape them to become more mature as he seeks to bring these spiritual children into the maturity of their faith. And today, we're going to continue to look at that theme of hope as we look at chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, as we hear Paul speaking to his children of faith and encouraging them to greater hope. Hear now the reading of God's word as I read to us chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. 
Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but this, the word of our Lord, stands forever. It's right for us to pause and pray that he might speak to us through it. Please pray along with me in your hearts. Father, we thank you that we have the gift of calling you Father and to know that as the perfect Father, you spend your energy, your life, your resources building us up. And we thank you for the way that you use your word to speak to us of what that looks like, to learn of your love and your life, that we might reflect it, that we might know it, that we might be in it. And we pray that this time would encourage us in those things for Jesus' sake. Amen. So for those of you that are celebrating Father's Day today, how are you going to celebrate it? Um, Perhaps if you're a child and you want to celebrate a father, perhaps if you're a young child, maybe you're, you're making a card or you got a present. But the way that you probably celebrate that father is by trying to, to pick something out that reflects them. Maybe that's a tie because they wear ties to work. Or maybe it's something for golf. For my dad, I'm getting him books because my dad loves to read. Um, what is it that you're doing to celebrate Father's Day? Or perhaps you're going to have, as a father, a special meal made for you. I'm getting steak tonight. I love steak, and it's a special treat uh, to be able to have steak. But it was picked out because they know that that's something that I delight in, that I enjoy. How do you celebrate Father's Day? The way that you do it is by, by saying that this is a day where we want to honor, respect, demonstrate to the fathers in our life that they matter, that their life is something that we see and we enjoy and we are thankful for. That's what Father's Day is supposed to be, right? A day that that, that man's character, that that man's life is seen and honored. Now, in this passage, Paul is talking about another day, the day of the Lord. He mentions this in the beginning of this passage. Now, concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Now, that phrase, the day of the Lord, is one that we see throughout the Bible. And it, it, every time that we see it, it's always saying that there is going to be a time, there's going to be a day when all evil will be destroyed, when all the things that are in this world that are darkness will be removed, when everything that we pray for, when we pray that God's will in heaven will be the same as it is on earth, all those things will come to fruition. The day of the Lord is when God's character, God's desires, God's values are fully seen in this world. And everything in this world will reflect those values. And Paul is saying that this day, this day of the Lord, is something that, that Christians should look forward to and that Christians should live in light of. And just as on Father's Day we think, how can we live, how can we show our fathers that, that we see them, that we see their character, that we see the way that they've served us, that we see what they've done for us. How do we live on Father's Day in a way that shows that? Paul is saying in the same way, a Christian is supposed to live for the day of the Lord. 
That as we think about the fact that one day the Lord will come again in full and bring all of his will to bear on this world, we should live every day thinking about that day and how his character, his values, the thing that he delights in are things that we should be doing every single day. And so Paul in this passage is saying that that this is something that should shape you just as as a father shapes a child. So the day of the Lord should shape you. He actually uses this same kind of analogy. Look down at verse 5. He says, for you are all children of light, children of the day. Isn't that an interesting thing that he says there that you in a sense are children of the day of the Lord. Now, why does he talk about us being as children of the day of the Lord? It's because what Paul is saying is is that that you are imprinted by your parents, right? You you begin to shape your life by what you've seen in the life of your parents. Just as an example, um, I've mentioned this perhaps, you remember that I love a good deal. And I've begun to see that come out in my children. Like my daughter Nora will say, hey, dad, did you see that this place is having a sale? Or dad, did you see this coupon? Why does she mention that to me? because she knows that that's something that I value, but it's also become something that she values. My values have been imprinted onto her. And Paul, when he speaks about Christians in Thessalonica being children of the day, is saying that I want God's values that are seen in the day of the Lord to begin to imprint themselves on you so that the way that you live What shapes your character, what shapes your values, what shapes your life is his character, his values, his life. Paul says, I want you to be children of the day. And so Paul is saying that that what is going to lead you in your Christian life is not looking inward at yourself, not looking at your values, what you want, but looking instead to what he wants what he values, which is why he contrasts in that verse 5 the children of the day and the children of the light with the idea of night, with the idea of darkness. Now you can obviously see how those things would be a contrast. During the day you have light, and during night you have darkness. And Paul there is saying that, that the way that you live is going to reflect what you see, the way that you live is going to reflect what you value. And he wants you to have this aspect of light being what you value, being what you see, being what you hold on to, as opposed to living absent the light, living in darkness. What does it look like to live in darkness? We actually confessed it in the catechism. When we read catechism question 13, which spoke of Adam and Eve and how in their freedom of the will that God gave them, instead of moving towards God, they moved towards sin. And they fell from the way that God created them to live. By pursuing their own desires, they didn't move towards God, but they moved away from him. Instead of moving towards him in love and gratitude for the way that he made them, cared for them, provided for them, they moved away from him so that they could seek for themselves their own desires, their own wants, so that they could be like God, deciding for themselves what is good, deciding for themselves what is valuable. And that's what darkness is. For us to be consumed with ourselves, to be consumed with our values, to be consumed with our wants and our needs. 
And Paul is saying that that is what we all are if we are not children of the light. That by nature, we will always choose ourself unless something has changed us, unless we have been born into the light. And how does that happen, that we are born into the light? Jesus actually tells us. In John chapter 12, as he was speaking to people, he says this, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of the light. Do you hear what Jesus said? He said he was the light, the light that came into this world and walked amongst people. And he said, do you see that? If so, believe in it. Believe in me. Believe in me that you may become sons of the light. There Jesus is saying that that through faith in him, believing in him, something happens that changes us, that transforms us, so that instead of having a character that focuses on ourselves, instead of living a life that focuses on ourselves, we begin to live a life that is focused on him, on others. As we are changed by faith in him, we begin to love. Not ourself only, but love God and love others. We become children of light as we believe in the light, as we put our faith in the light, as we trust in Jesus. And so Paul is saying to these Thessalonians that I want you to live in light of Jesus, in light of his love, in light of the way that he was the perfect light that reflected the character of God into this world. Walk every day in light of him. But he keeps reminding his people about this idea of this day of the Lord. And the reason that he's talking about this day of the Lord is because he wants them to have a sense of urgency about the way that they live. Some of you may be thinking to yourself, I forgot that it was Father's Day. Is it too late to go to Walgreens and and get a card? Or could I email an electronic gift card at this point? Paul wants us to have a sense of urgency around this idea of the day of the Lord. So he speaks in this passage about remembering that that this day of the Lord, the time when, when God's character will fully come and be present on this earth, is something that we can't exactly pin down when it'll happen. So that's why he says, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. It would be really convenient if a thief were to write you a little note that's saying, Dear so and so, On Thursday around 3 a.m., I'm going to come into your house to steal stuff. Sincerely, your friendly thief. Thieves don't give you a heads up, do they? No. They catch you unawares. That's their goal is to kind of watch your house. Find when you're not awake. Find when you are not there so that they can break in and steal. And Paul says that's what the day of the Lord is like. It's like something that you can't know exactly when it's going to happen. And so because of that, you have to be ready. Now, if you're going to be prepared for a thief, I hope that that doesn't mean that you're going to be sitting day in, day out at your window watching, walking around, perhaps your your property, guarding at all points in time. If that was the case, you wouldn't work. You wouldn't eat. You wouldn't sleep. 
Paul isn't wanting us to have this hyper-vigilance on this, this day that God may come back, but he's wanting us to live with a sense of preparation, which is why he gives a great analogy. Perhaps appropriate on Father's Day to bring in the other gender. The great analogy of a woman who is about to give birth. He mentions this in verse 3. He says, While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. There, by drawing in the idea of, of a mother who's about to give birth, he gives a great sense of what it looks like to live with this idea of the day of the Lord. Now, a woman who's about to give birth may know that that baby is coming, may feel like it is coming, but she doesn't know when those labor pains are going to begin. But what is she doing when she senses that this baby's going to become? She's nesting, right? <laughs> If you've been with a pregnant woman, you know that, that perhaps you've seen the way. I know this was the case with my wife, that she starts thinking, oh, I got to get clothes. I got to get the, the crib ready. I got to get the room ready. I got to get everything ready so that when it happens, when I go into labor, I've got everything ready to bring that child into my love and my home. And Paul says, that's how we should live looking forward to this day, not with a sense of anxiety or fear or hypervigilance, but with a sense of preparation, saying that when he comes back, I want everything to be ready so that I can be with him and be in his love. And Paul is wanting the, the Thessalonians to think about the way that they have been brought into the light by Jesus, by the love of the Father. And so live every single day honoring the work that he's done, not with a sense of anxiety and fear, but with excitement, delight. So that, that what shapes the today is the day of the Lord. What shapes the today is a desire so that when he comes back, they don't feel embarrassed, but excited. You know, one time I surprised my father by coming home from college. And I went to the, the house. It was kind of dark and there was no one in the front of the house. So I went out to the, the back of the house and there I found my dad smoking cigarettes. He had told me that he had quit. And when I came up on him, his first thought is, why didn't you call? He then said, next time, please give us a heads up. Why? Because he was embarrassed because he knew that he was supposed to have quit smoking, but there he was smoking. All of us have had those moments, haven't we? Where we felt embarrassed because we weren't prepared for someone to come, that we wanted to, to see us in a certain light, whether it's, it's someone stops by at our house and our house is a wreck and we are worried about the way that they're going to think that we clean or don't clean. Or when a teacher calls on you and you weren't ready to present or answer. You all know that feeling of, of ah, I feel embarrassed. And Paul is saying, you don't want that feeling when Jesus comes back, do you? Don't you want when he comes back for, for him to see what you're doing and be like, yeah. Don't you want when he comes back for, for him to see what you're doing and be like, this is someone that, that obviously sees what I am doing in this world and delights in it and likes it and loves it. That's what Paul wants us to have. And as we think about Jesus and his coming again, is a sense of how can I be prepared so that, that my life is in a sense ready 
for him to be brought into this world. And so what I do today is to live for that day, a day that, that I know his character will be seen in full. And so today I allow it to be seen in my life, my decisions, my choices. And so Paul wants us, as he's teaching us about this day, the Lord to have a sense of watchfulness that causes us to be prepared for that day. So he says in verse 6, So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. That phrase, keep awake, is drawing the analogy of someone who's waiting up at night to kind of keep a watch on a city. He's saying, let's have a watchfulness over our life so that, that what causes us to live our life is, is a sense of soberness, not a sense of drunkness where you're distracted or you're not thoughtful, or you're not doing what you ought to do, but a soberness that says, here my life fully reflects what I see in Jesus. Here my life fully reflects what I value about Jesus. Here my life reflects the character of God. If you knew that Jesus was going to show up, how might that change how you live today? If you knew that Jesus was going to be showing up tomorrow at 10 a.m., what would you do differently today? Who might you call that you've been having a grudge against, that you've had bitterness against? Might you try to reconcile, bring forgiveness? So that when Jesus comes back in all of his grace and forgiveness, he doesn't see you with that sense of grudge and bitterness? If Jesus were to come back, how might that change what you do today? Might it encourage you to, to pursue that person you've been meaning to or wanting to, to tell about Jesus, to encourage them in, in their knowledge of the Lord, as opposed to putting it off and waiting? How might it shift what you value, what you think about? Does the idea when Jesus is going to come back tomorrow, does the idea of something like pornography seem less compelling? Does the idea of worrying about finances seem less stressful if Jesus were to return tomorrow? Paul is wanting us to have that kind of mentality, that what shapes us is not an alertness to the world, not an alertness to our values or our desires, but an alertness to him, to his values. Paul wants us to be children of the light, shaped by him and his light, children of the day, shaped by the fact that one day Jesus will return and bring all of his values to bear on this world so that our values today will reflect that day. But what is it that causes us to, to want to do that? What would cause us to forsake our values? To not seek after ourselves? Well, the thing that would move us to that is, is the love of the Father. And some of you may have done this when you're young. You put on your dad's clothes, put on your dad's shoes. Why would you do that? It's because don't you want to grow up to be like him? We saw this in a weird way with my older son, Charlie, who for a couple of months would preach every night before bed. He would just kind of mimic what he thought dad sounded like. 
That's the weird thing of being a child of a pastor. But he was doing that, why? Because he wanted to be like the father that he loved. And Paul wants us to have that kind of heart, which is why he says what he does in verse 9. He says, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. There what Paul is saying is, don't you see that, that what the day of the Lord is, is the reminder that what God ultimately wants is not for you to, to feel that sense of embarrassment when he shows up or to feel that sense that I can't be close to him where he shows up or to fear him ever coming close to you because he did not destine you for wrath. He didn't create you and bring you into this world and tell you about Jesus just so that you would end up feeling hurt by him but he brought you into this world he formed you he made you and he brought you into the knowledge of jesus so that you were not destined for wrath but destined for his warmth of his embrace paul says don't you understand what what god does in your life and how out of his love he brings you into his family because he wants you to be his child that he doesn't want you to live with a sense of question of does my father love me does my father enjoy me does my father like me will my father reject me he doesn't want you to ever think that he did not destine you for wrath but what did he do he destined you paul says for salvation he destined you for that warm embrace through the lord jesus christ and he reminds us that it was through the lord jesus christ because that's the way that our darkness becomes light. Because when we believe in Jesus, the light of the world, it reminds us how we are rescued from darkness that would condemn us to wrath and brought into light that ensures us of our love. It's because on the cross, we see Jesus descend into darkness. As it becomes fully dark at the brightest part of the day. As Jesus takes onto himself the wrath of the Father. And the most beloved Son is rejected. So that you and I can know that we are the beloved sons, the beloved daughters. So that it almost seems like he loves us more than him. And when you remember that, when you see that that's the character of your father, doesn't that cause you to want to be like him? Doesn't that cause you to want to pursue him? Doesn't that cause you to want to, to put into your life things that, that reflect to him, his value, his character? Doesn't that want you to create in your whole life, in a sense, a living sacrifice, that your life is, in a sense, a gift to him saying, I see the beauty of your character, the beauty of your grace, the beauty of your love, and I want that to shape me, not my seeking after myself or my own values, but your values, your character. The more deeply you see the love of your father, the more deeply his character gets into your heart. And Paul wants us to see that reality with God, that the more deeply his love gets down into our heart, the more deeply that character begins to come out, which is why he actually mentions the armor in this passage. 
It's an interesting aspect that Paul talks about putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. And what he's doing there is he's not saying that we need this militant faith, but we need a faith that models after him. Because this idea of armor isn't about something that the Christian wears, but is actually something that God wears. It's a reflection back to Isaiah chapter 59, where it speaks about God putting onto himself the armor, so that he can come into a place where there is evil and bring about good. Isaiah 59 says this, truth is lacking, and he who departs from evil sets himself up to be a prey. And the Lord saw it, and it displeased him, and there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in his zeal as a cloak. You see there, Isaiah, the prophet, is saying that, that God sees the way that people are consumed by darkness and he, as a loving father, steps into battle. He arms himself with the armor he needs so that he can go into battle to rescue his children. And Paul says, you clothe yourself with that reality. That is what you put on yourself, not you dressing yourself to save you. That's not what the armor is saying. But what the armor is saying is you clothe yourself in the work and the love of your father. That's why he speaks of the breastplate of faith and love so that what protects your heart is faith in the love of the father. And don't you feel that attack in your heart? That when you sin, when you see your selfishness, when you see that darkness that still exists in you that, that says, I am not lovable. I can't be loved like this. If, if someone really saw this aspect of me, they would turn away. And certainly I know God sees this, so he must turn away. Don't you see the way that Satan always attacks that heart saying, you can't be loved. But Paul says, no, don't you see that you're already covered with the protection of his love, that it's his love that is your breastplate. And he says, put on that helmet, the helmet of salvation, so that, that when you are attacked, saying, I can't be saved because I haven't done enough. I can't be saved because I haven't given back to God what, what he would deserve. I haven't been saved because I haven't earned it yet. Those, again, are lies of the devil that says that you should fear God. But Paul says, put on that helmet of salvation, the helmet of salvation that Christ has earned for you, that you are saved not by what you do, but what he has done for you. And Paul says that as you put on the armor of his work and his love for you, that is what helps you to be protected from the things that would cause you to not be ready for that day of the Lord. That his love constrains you to obedience that his work on your behalf is what is the foundation of wanting to live a life of gratitude in the way that you live out his character joyfully because it's beautiful, because it reminds you of him. There's a beautiful story that I read in the news a couple of years ago. And it was about a father named Gua Gangteng. 
and he had his son stolen from the front gate of his house when his son was only two and a half years old. And he began the next day to search for his son. And he would ride a motorcycle all throughout China looking for his son, carrying a flag with his son's photo and details about his son like he has a little scar on his left toe. He wore out 10 motorcycles as he drove through 30 of the 34 provinces in China. For 24 years, he rode around looking for his son. Along the way, he started an organization to work against child trafficking and began to help reunite missing children with their families. The police said about him that he helped reunite 100 children to their rightful homes as he was searching for his own child. But then July, a year and a half ago, he finally found his son. After 24 years, he got to be reunited with his son. And the video is heartbreakingly beautiful to see them embrace in tears. It's beautiful to see that father weep as he finally gets to hold his son that was stolen from him. And his son said about him, he is a great father. I'm so proud to be his son. That's the heart of a true father. That he would not rest until he's reunited with his son. And that's the heart of your heavenly father. That he will not rest until he's reunited with you. That's why Paul reminds us that, that Jesus died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might be live with him. Your father wants you close to him. And he sent Jesus so that there would be nothing to prevent you from being with him. When you look and see the heart of the father, do you not have a sense of pride in saying that that's my father? He loves me that much. If you have that sense of pride, don't you want your life to reflect that? His kind of character, his kind of love. Your father wants you to be with him. And he has moved heaven and earth so that darkness does not overtake you that you see the light, so that you see Jesus, so that you will be with him forever. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of knowing you as a father. And we pray that as we see that, that delight in knowing you as a good father would cause us to joyfully look forward for the day where your character will be seen fully in this earth. And live today fully in light of your character. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen.